0: Welcome to the Messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. Our heart will thump with joy when we meet Jesus our Saviour. In this episode, we learn from Pastor Andrew the value of finding the time to sense God's plan for our lives. We've had these readings from both the Old and the New Testament that trace the coming of Jesus, that Declare his coming and then declare who he is. And by the way, there is dozens more different readings that we could have chosen. But what strikes me, and a couple of little things I want to pick up, is in the first one from Isaiah 9, he talks about the harsh treatment of the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, which were two of the 12 tribes of Israel and formed two of the 10 tribes when Israel and Judah separated after the death of Solomon. So that you had Judah and Benjamin and then you had the other 10. But when Isaiah starts this little part of his message he says on the other side of the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles now Galilee basically was a fairly large area definitely contained Nathal I'm not sure about whether Zebulon was in there but chapter 9 of Isaiah's book across the board scholars will agree was written by Isaiah. They won't agree about that with chapters 40 onwards. But we all pretty much agreed. I actually think Isaiah wrote the lot. Now, what is really striking here is this is Galilee of the Jews. This is Israel's territory. Israel had possession. And they had it for hundreds of years. So where does Isaiah get off calling it, all of a sudden, Galilee of the Gentiles? Now, in this first part of his book, up until chapter 39, he's actually proclaiming the destruction of Israel. And that Israel is going to be destroyed by Assyria. And that actually happened. But it hadn't happened when he wrote this part of his book. But it did happen to the extent that once Assyria was finished there was no Jewish person alive in the area of Israel. There was Judah and Benjamin. They continued. But there was no Jewish person. They had all been carted away. Dispersed amongst the nations and as far as we know never to return so yes this did become Galilee of the Gentiles and so you can see the pain the darkness and the hurt of a nation that has been wiped out a nation that has been overthrown And it is into this darkness, into this entity almost of nothing, that a light is going to appear. And that light is the coming of the Son of the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. If this is the light of God coming into the world, wouldn't you expect it to be a huge light Bright, shining, exposing, incredible. Instead, it rocks up in a stable in this little town in Bethlehem in Judah, Israel. You see, when God begins a work, it doesn't begin as a blaze. It doesn't begin huge. And you know, sometimes we can really miss the beginning. So what we have here in our readings is the exposure of the coming of the Son of God in the person of Jesus some 700 years before that. I don't know if you read biographies, When we look at a biography today, it begins with the birth. The person's entity begins with his or her birth. Our entity, who we are, begins with our birth. Prior to that, we don't exist. When God works on us in our mother's womb... We're at a new beginning. But what we have here and what we've been listening to is the beginning wasn't on the day of conception of Jesus. The beginning was eternal, the eternal Son of God was coming. And it's being declared even from the beginning of the scriptures, even from Genesis 2 and 3. There's already a declaration of his coming. And it intensifies as you go on, and certainly when you start to get into the prophets. Because by the time of the prophets, Israel and Judah, they're in trouble. They've walked far from God. They haven't stayed the course. They haven't heard and yielded. They've walked away. And it strikes me as we listen to the positive elements of these readings, there's also some very strong negatives. For instance in the next passage from Isaiah 11, where it talks about the coming one being filled with the Spirit and doing all these wonderful things. But he will also strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, and he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. So, When we understand the coming one, the eternal Son of the Father coming into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, he's not just coming to make everybody happy. In fact, if you read the Gospels, he didn't make a whole lot of people happy. There were certainly those who were joyful. There were certainly those who were blessed. There were certainly those who were just overwhelmed by him and his love, but there are others that were so unsettled that almost from the beginning of his first message, they wanted to kill him. He didn't come at one level to make us feel settled. One of the paradoxes of the statements about Jesus as being the Prince of Peace, peace on earth, as the angels declared. But there were times when he wasn't peaceful to be around. And he even said, I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. He hasn't come to make out that everything's just fine. Everything's just nice. He didn't come to appease us. As if, God was in the wrong. And yet yet so many people think God is in the wrong. That God is at fault. That he's done all this. He didn't come to appease us. He came to save us. To save us from our enemies, our foes, from the powers that would bind us. And I believe that those powers are not just human rulers, as some scholars would want to declare, but they are demonic rulers, demonic entities that want to enslave us, want to keep us down, want to demean us, want to ruin us. And there are times when they do a pretty good job at it. Jesus came to breach those powers in our life. But he also came to save us from ourselves. We are our own worst enemies. Sin at the depth of our heart that takes us away from God, that makes us think we can do this by ourselves, through ourselves, in our own strength. That's one of the elements of sin. I also believe there's a deeply moral element of sin. And it's that moral element that in our day and time is being diminished, played down, even eradicated. We are products of our environment, they will tell us. If we'd had a better environment to grow up, we wouldn't do the things that we do. But you see, sin is in the heart of us. And he came to take our sin, to breach sin in our life, to save us from our enemies. And he came as this little glimpse of light in the form of a baby. By the time he was 30, that light began to shine throughout Galilee and Judah and Jerusalem. And so intense was the light in him that he had to sit on a mountain to talk to the crowds. They actually had to break through the roof to bring a sick man to him because the crowds wouldn't leave him. They were so attracted to this light that had come in the person of Jesus Christ. So I was praying last night. God led me to a passage which wasn't a very nice passage from Isaiah. It was about the terrible things that the people of Israel were doing. Now they're only just an example of humanity. They're not the worst. They're not bogey people. The book that we read is a book about them. And they hadn't got it right, and they got lost, really lost, evil lost. And we can get evil lost. And you know, God gets angry when we get evil lost. Gets angry when our actions are are evil. Our thoughts are evil. Our plans are evil. Our ideas are evil. And you know, when Jesus came, there's an element of the anger of God present against the nation. How do we know that? Apart from what the prophets might have said is that the Son of the Living God took human form, and God came Himself as the Saviour of the world, and they wanted to kill Him right from the beginning. And if the Son of the Living God takes human form in this babe born in a manger, and you're true to God, your heart's going to be thumping. He's come. Our God has come. If my heart is true to God, when he comes, I will know him. So if I don't know him and want to kill him, then there's something wrong with my heart. And that's what Jesus confronted. But in the midst of that is the anger of God. God is now sending the Son And yet there's still the element of anger. As we said, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Now, by the way, Jesus didn't actually do that, did he? At least we didn't see him physically take up his sword. In fact, he did the opposite. He came with such a depth of love that even when their hatred hit him full on, he did not respond in anger or violence, apart from throwing over the money changers' tables. But he didn't throw the money changers over, just their coins. So there's a sense that as we live in a day and age where the salvation of God is coming afresh, Jesus is in the midst of us. God has not deserted the planet. God has not gone on holidays. God is not asleep up there. He is so powerfully present in the midst of us that if we'll take the time to pause, we'll sense him there. We're not patient people. So we're saying, hurry up, God. Haven't you seen what we've been doing for you? And he says, if you'll stop a moment and listen to me. God has an agenda. And each of us has a different part in that agenda. But we have to stop for a moment to confirm what our part might be what our purpose might be. You see, God didn't create us, allow us coming to this world and think, now what will I get him to do? He already has an agenda for us. In fact, Paul tells us that we cannot be saved by good works. We're saved by faith. And we've all heard that, and we all know that. But you know what he says in the next breath? and God has some good works for you to do. But they're his good works, not our good works. We're so often trying to do stuff for God to think that we might please him or appease him, when he's saying, you actually can't appease me. You can't make it right. We have been so far gone, so far from him, that nothing right that we might do can possibly ever get us right with God. Now Paul tells us that he was blameless according to the law, which I'm amazed at. I'm not. And I haven't been for a long time. And certainly as an atheist, I wasn't right according to the law. But here is Paul saying, I am blameless According to the law, but I am the chief of sinners. Now, how can that compute? If he's blameless according to the law, which means he got stuff right, how can he now be the biggest sinner on the planet? And it's simply because of what he did with Jesus. What we do with Jesus is really important because of who he is the eternal Son come in the person of Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us and for our sins. To take our punishment and to set us free from the impact of sin in our life. That we can come into the presence of God the Father through him and enjoy him forever. So as we move to Christmas, This is such a great time of joy. But you know what we need to do? Jesus talks about hiding your light under a bushel. Take it off. Let the light shine through us. Because you see, the light has moved from the babe born in the stable in Bethlehem. And the light is in us. He's put the light in us. And he's asked us to shine. So let's shine this Christmas time for Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that the coming of your Son breached everything, broke asunder every understanding of what is possible and impossible. And his coming brought something into this world that had long gone or wasn't here at all. That your light had come in a new way and that light had brought a new promise to us. Help us as we finish Advent and move to Christmas to fully take a hold of that light in our hearts, in our minds, in our whole beings. And help us to shine for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page. Or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au